Stay tuned for The Lynn Show. Today, I'm airing part one of an interview with Stephen Lutvak, who, by his own definition, has dedicated his life to the art of song. A successful cabaret artist who wrote all his own material, a vocal and performance coach, and winner of the Tony Award as composer and co-lyricist of the Broadway show Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. Stephen is not only terrifically accomplished, he is also charming, clever, articulate, and because he's so open, he's also very, very interesting. When you listen to the first part of this interview, you will want to hear the second. Hang on. Here come the show. Hearing from an inner voice Finding choice To the Lynn Show. The Lynn Show is about being the person you really are, not the person you think you're supposed to be, not the person other people are, not the person somebody told you you had to be, or even sometimes told you you were. No, not even the person you may currently think you are, because so many people have experiences in their childhoods which discourage them from demonstrating something about themselves. Children are so flexible that they quite often are able to pretend that they aren't this thing 
and they can get so good at the pretense that they come into adulthood having forgotten some significant aspects of their real being. So the Lynn Show is about saying that if this happened to you, if you were forced to leave behind something important about yourself, it's not too late to recover it. And in my shows, I interview people who make their living or their life with an art, because when you listen to them, you can hear what it sounds like to be who you really are. And in listening to Stephen, you are in no doubt that this is a man who is completely who he really is. And you will hear that there have been many experiences in Stephen's life which might have caused him to deny what he is, which is so remarkably special. But to Stephen's credit, he didn't let them. I'm going to let Stephen tell the first part of this story. So here now is Stephen Ludvack. Okay, I'm here with Stephen Ludvack. And I'm explaining to Stephen that I interview people who make their living or their life with an art. From the time I was 17 years old, I have made a living as an artist. Wow. And the art to which you have given your life and made your living since 17 is music. It's not music. I would say my life's work is song. Because, because what I do, my entire vocation and avocation and other cations <laughs> um, have all been about song. Writing them, teaching people to write them, helping people sing them, helping pe people sing them better, helping people choose them, helping people understand what a song is, and of, and of course writing them, which means writing music and writing lyrics and collaborating. I only ask one question. Please. And it is, do you remember the very first time in your life that song spoke to you? Absolutely. Good, tell me. I was in a choir in junior high school and I remember the moment the choral director put the different sections together and I had a chill up my spine, yeah. which is about the singing part of song, which has to do with, the, with harmony and all of that. I was about 11. So and, before that, I mean, you're in choir, oh, so were yes, you singing before that, before that? It's very funny. I remember that when I was little, 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 I sang. Little, little, and, little, five, eight. Oh, I think even younger than two, three, four, five. We moved when I was nine, and I remember being in the bathtub and singing and going, oh, I remember I used to do this. I remember that I used to sing. I used to sing Spontaneously. More. That I sang spontaneously, yes. yes. Right. I went through puberty stupid, stupid young. Yeah. I, w I was 10 when all that started wow. happening, which is you know very much the early side. And I remember thinking that my voice felt different than it did when I was littler. Uh -huh. um, but I also, actually, here's another memory. Um, we lived in Queens, as I say, until I was nine, and we lived three houses away from, from Irene and Elliot Glanz, and who I'm still in touch with. And Irene was from Canada, and they owned part of a river and a mountain in the Laurentian Mountains. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, that they had bought around the turn of the century for like a dollar an acre, <laughs> which was a lot of money in, in, in those days. And um, we spent some summers there, and Irene took us rowing. And I remember that Irene sang, When the red, red robin goes bob, bob, bobbing along. 
And I remember thinking, oh my God, that's, oh, it's funny. Because I have oral memories around the glances. They also had the first stereo system. And I remember when I heard it, you know, it was like bong, 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 like hearing that. And I also remember then when I went to college. Wait, wait, no, I want to go back, back up. Because you're not saying anything about playing and you're clearly a, an accomplished musician. So did you take lessons? Of course I took lessons. And whose idea was that? Well, here with the famous in my family story. When I was little, 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 like four or five, I wanted to dance. I wanted to be whatever the equivalent of a ballerina was. And my parents took me to the shoe man, Mr. Baum. And um, he said, The shoe man, as in shoes. As in let's get shoes yes, right. for him to dance. <laughs> right, 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 right. Why they thought the local shoe man would have dancing shoes, I'm not quite <laughs> sure. Um, and he pulled them aside and said, you don't want to let your son dance. <gasps> and they said, well, why not? And he said, he'll be a butterfly. Oh, dear God. Well, first of all, the joke's on Mr. Baum. Yes. Or, or, or not. And um, then when I fought for piano lessons, they gave them to me. And but you, you wanted them. Oh, yeah. I had already begun playing. I had one lesson from a neighbor, and it all made sense to me. And um, my dad was a teacher, and he went to his music teacher and said, my son is five years old and he wants to play the piano. And they said, not till he's seven. Don't let him. And... My, I fought and fought and fought. I'm a fighter. Yeah, yeah. And I started about, when I was about six, I want to say. And I had a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful piano teacher who just celebrated her 98th birthday. Still in touch with her. And my dad took me into school and had me play for that self-same teacher. And the teacher said, how long has he been playing? And my dad said, since you said he shouldn't be learning. <laughs> and um, my, my teacher, whose name was Gilda Nelson, said to me years, years and years later, I never taught you anything, I just showed you how. Ah, uh, yes. It's a wonderful way to put it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Well, you can't do it with everybody. She knew she no. could do it with you. So, okay, so what we've got so far is you're singing in the bathtub before five. By five, you make them give you piano lessons. By 11, you're singing in the choir and you have this epiphany of what music can do to a person because you feel it, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, middle school, high school, are you playing? Are you in well, a remember, band? We are didn't you... call it middle school. Yeah, I know, I forgot. Junior, junior high school? High school. Yeah, yes. right. I was in the chorus in high school. Well, actually, this is very much along the line of what you're talking about. We had a choral director who was a total bastard. I don't mind using his name. His name was Patrick Variano, and he was beloved by many and loathed by maybe more than that. He was really tough. And my first year of high school was the last of the great years of the choir, and we were singing a Bach double motet, which meant 40 middle-class kids were divided in two, so that's roughly four, mm -hmm. four or five on a part. So tough. And he was spot-checking. He pointed at me and said, uh, page 68, top line, sing that. And I did. Mm -hmm. The room burst into applause. <laughs> and I didn't have a moment of, oh, get me. I had a moment of, oh, not everybody can do that. Yes. Yes. That's a thing. I hadn't really understood that because it all... It's so easy. Because it came easy. I know. Easy me, and it all, it all made sense. Right. My last year, I'm a senior in choir. And it's going to be a big deal now. Now I'm going to get solos and I'll get to play one of the leads in the musical. And he would bring me into school and teach me a solo and give it to somebody else the next day. Oh, wow. And, then he, he, and when I went to him and said, why'd you do that? Mm -hmm. He said, well, not everybody's going to get the, the, the lead in this year's musical. I got it made. I didn't get the lead. Well, I called him at home, which, you know, in those days, and I said, well, 
what, what, you know, you, you, told you, you virtually gave it to you me, virtually right? Gave right. It, you know, what, what, and he had nothing to say. 35 years later, I was singing a solo concert in Florida. And in the front row were Doris and Roy Grover, mm-hmm. parents of Elliot and Neil Grover. They were in choir, and, and Doris was very active. And we had a reception, and Doris grabbed me, and we said, do you have any idea how threatened Patrick Variano was by you? Right. I said, no. And she said, I watched him treat you badly. Yeah. I said, I can't believe you're saying this, because anytime I would try to talk to anybody about this, they would go, oh, you're overreacting. She nailed him on this and said, well, why ah. are you treating him so badly? And he wouldn't answer, and he wouldn't answer, and he wouldn't answer. And finally he said... If I favor Stephen using contemporary parlance, I will out myself. Oh, God. Yeah, it's a really ugly story. It's, oh, it's worse than, ugh. Yeah, it's worse than jealousy. Yes, it is. I mean, and um, I called her the next day to thank her for this because it was a wonderful gift to tell me. No kidding. And I often say in, in my life, I don't know if this is true for other people, but in my life, mysteries are solved. Then they can take 35 years. I said, this was a wonderful thing to tell me. She said, I am telling you this so you can forgive. And I said, Doris, <laughs> fuck forgiveness. <laughs> I'm not anywhere near there. Let me sit in my rage yeah. because this is a terrible thing to do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she said, well, it was a different time. I said, it was a terrible thing to do. It was a do. terrible thing to do. It's so self-hating. They talk about modeling. It's a terrible example, yeah, and it's cruel. So you have this interesting combination of experiences. You get a lot of accolade, you get a lot of approbation, but you also get this bizarre push-pull thing yes, from him. Yes, that's right. Right? That's right. Yeah. Okay, so that's your senior. Are you thinking, have you been thinking about song or music as a life, as a career? Well, there's one more part of the story. We moved, as I say, from nine. It was a big deal in my childhood. We moved from... Little Neck, Queens, to Merrick, Long Island, and about five houses away from us lived a kid named Larry Lawrence. Larry Lawrence's dad was Bernie Lawrence. Bernie Lawrence, who was born Bernie Leibowitz, and he was Sidney Leibowitz's brother, Sidney Leibowitz, who the world knows as Steve Lawrence. Yes. So Larry Lawrence, Larry Lawrence, was born Larry Leibowitz. So when the family changed the name, he was stuck with Larry Lawrence. And um, he was Steve Lawrence's nephew. nephew. Yes. And maybe eighth grade. We started writing songs, and by the time we graduated high school, we had literally hundreds of songs. And we wrote, we wrote a, you know, our version of a gospel number that Larry's father, who was a music publisher, decided to publish. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is, a, this is a, another really great view into who I was, became, and am, which is... I called Mr. Lawrence at work, and I asked to speak to Mr. Lawrence, and Mr. Lawrence, this is Stephen Lovefeck, and I was just wondering if um, anything's going on with our song. (laughs) And he tore into me with language that made my head spin. Oh, dear. And um, he said, I have writers I've had for 25 years who would never call and ask me. And I remember thinking, well, shame on them. No kidding. Why, Why not? So I did think about it. I did think about it, and in fact, when I went to college... Oh, okay, so, you know you're going to go to college, right? Oh, yeah. And are you thinking of majoring in something no. related? No. Well, I was a triple major for a while in college. I was a major in theater, in music, and in comparative literature. 
And I translated part of a, a 19th century French novel by a woman named Louise Collet, who was one of Flaubert, um, and a rival of George Sand, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, well, but, but comparative literature is not actually something to fall back on. Well, I for a moment thought that okay, I'm going to be an I'm going to be an opera and musical theater translator. That's what I'm going to live. Oh, live oh yeah. Doing. Well, then there is right. Well, except yeah. except operas have all they've all been translated. <laughs> right, <laughs> really... right. So all right, you've chosen this triple major, and at yes. some point you figure out that there's not a lot of work for for translating <laughs> translating operas, right? So, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Well. Do you know all the stories of, of, of Oscar Hammerstein teaching Stephen, Stephen Sondheim, Sondheim sure. and giving, giving young, young Mr. Sondheim the, this is what you'll write when you're at college? I sort of did a version of that, not knowing that there had been a plan. I wrote one sort of big score every year I was in college. Wow. Leading up to um, a full-on musical that I did book music and lyrics for. Okay, um, wait, so this is in the theater department? Or in the music in the, department? In the theater department. Okay. In the theater department. Right. In the music department, I auditioned. I thought, okay, I want to learn to sing. Oh, actually, this is this is funny. This is interesting. And I know it's, they're going to sound like more rancorous stories, because <laughs> uh, I have two of them. So I auditioned for the um, vocal depart department and was accepted into the studio of one David Clatworthy. Do you know this name? By I don't. Chance? David Clatworthy was a baritone at City Opera mm -hmm. at the time. And he was teaching up there. And I, it was sort of amazing to me, because his was... That was that was the the studio to yeah. get into, and I showed up for my first lesson, and he stopped in the middle, and he said, "Have you been up all night?" And I said, "No," and he said, "It sounds like you've been screaming," and I said, "No," and he said, um, "This is not the voice I heard at auditions." <gasps> and I thought, oh, "Oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention, I have I've had a vocal transplant <laughs> since <laughs> since eight days ago." Yeah. Um, and uh, I had two or three lessons with him, and he said. I think you're too young for such intensive training. Wow. And he dropped me from a studio. Oh my goodness. And then when I did my senior thesis, he was, uh, my roommate at the time was studying with him. He was a really lovely singer. And he said to Josh, watching my senior thesis, he said, maybe, maybe I shouldn't have gotten rid of him as a student. Yeah, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I made a mistake. Similarly, God, this is funny. Um, I auditioned for... Uh, for piano lessons, because you had to audition for them. And I played a Sh Chopin B minor waltz, not particularly fancy, and the head of the piano department said, you know you could be a concert pianist. And I remember thinking, wow, that's so interesting. I mean, it's sort of like the, the choir, yes. the, you know. Yes, right. <laughs> like, I could do that, and really? not everybody can do it. And um, he was frustrated with me because I wasn't working, he fell to my full potential, and then I invited him to the first show that I wrote. And he came to it, and I, when I came to, to my lesson, he said, play me something from the show. And so I played a little something. He said, that's not music. That's <gasps> not music. And I thought, well, I thought a lot of things. Mostly, fuck you. Can I say that on here? Of course, oh yes. So, uh, what I hear is that you remember earlier when you were saying you fought for the music, for the piano lessons, and they gave them to you, you're a fighter. That stood you in terrifically good stead, because it seems to me that a lot of people who had these experiences would have been discouraged by them, and you were not. I don't think I've ever thought of this, but maybe I am undiscourageable. I you think you may be undiscourageable. You're an interesting combination, tell me if you think I'm wrong, of 
someone who is unaware of, or certainly for much of your life, I don't think you can be so unaware now, having won the goddamn Tony, but, but for most of your life, unaware of what you can do and how it is special or different or even better than what most people, certainly people, what the age you were when you could do them. So there's that, the unawareness of your talent. And at the same time that you're unaware, you seem to ride right by the things that would have derailed you, (laughs) almost as though you knew. I mean, you understand? I understand exactly what you're saying. It's, it's, uh, that's really interesting, and I think you're right on both. Well, that's what it looks like. So wh- these things don't usually show up in the same person. So I would love to know if, you can, if it occurs to you where you think this might have come from. It was my sixth grade teacher, and she got me. She wrote a note on my final sixth grade report card that was both embarrassing and thrilling to me, saying that, I, I, sh- I shouldn't even say this out loud, um, basically about how special I was as a student. Yeah, Do you, can you remember it? Yeah. Oh I yes, mean, please say it out loud. I mean, she said, so, it was something like, I have to remind myself that I can't rate him on the same scale that I can rate other kids. It, it's been wonderful for me to have him as a student, but it's been challenging for me to have him as a student because there's everybody and then there's Steven. And she said, I look forward to seeing Stephen's name on whatever he will have probably written, although he can, there are so many things he could do. And, um, and she's kind of said that, you know, I was the what student. What you are, right. Student. I believe absolutely that teachers are responsible for just this. I see you, and I see in you and it changes everything. Well, look at the fact that here I am, I'm 59 years old, and I'm in touch with arguably the two major teachers of my life. And they protected you yes. from the teachers who can destroy, because they do that too. Well, I just gave you three examples. Yes, that's what I'm saying. No, th- I'm saying, so I think te- you're yes. right. I asked you where you thought it came from, and I'm just saying, yes, I think you're right. The teacher who wrote that, what was her mm-hmm. name? Uh, uh, Barbara, Barbara Smith. And I called her yesterday, I didn't want to just email her and say, by the way, my dad passed, because she yeah, knew my right, dad, so right. I wanted to call her and tell her this. She said she remembered parent-teacher conferences when my folks would come in and my mother would sit there and go, I don't know where he comes from, I don't know where we got this from, and she said my dad would just sit and let her talk, <laughs> and he would chime in occasionally. My parents' reaction to my abilities, such as they were, was it made them nervous and it made them very uncomfortable. I said to my mo- mother recently that the people at school said, you know, you know, you, you know your daughter's a genius. And my mother said, oh, you don't want a genius. Trust me, you don't want a genius. I was a little like, is that a, is that a snipe at me? So I, I was raised with this weird feeling of... It's dangerous. It's dangerous, and I have to distance from it. And I had to be careful not to ask for too much, because my mother would sometimes say, why do you need that vest? Which was, right. a, you know, because, you know, people would give their right arm to have what you had. I think it's a reflection of my parents' feelings of themselves. Because how, you know... Who am who am I to, to have a genius child? To have a genius child, yes. what, you know how can how how can that be? Because that that must say something about me that I don't want to know. As I said in the run-up, Stephen had lots of opportunities to turn his back on his talent and his love of song. He didn't take them. 
In part two, Stephen will take us through his college experience, how he made his living after college, and the extraordinary story of the creation and success of Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, which is another example of the things that you can't imagine going wrong that do. We're gonna go out on the title song from the CD, Ahead of My Heart, which will give you an idea of why Stephen was such a successful cabaret artist. As always, I hope you got something from this show that you can use. Something that will bring you down to Florida Studio Theater where they are doing a production of Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. Something that will bring you back, because I will be back, and as always, I sure hope you will be too. Before it's too soon Before I get burned Before I forget Every lesson I have never learned Before all the promise Has fallen apart Don't let me get Ahead of my heart Before I am lost But swear I've been found Before I believe that My feet will never touch the ground Before all the unending fantasies start Don't let me get ahead of my heart Don't let me be foolish Don't let me fall too far Until I am sure that I know who you really are But no, even then I will ask you again the chance to say when Before it's too soon Before it's too fast Before I am spinning A story that can never last I always thought I was So damn smart Don't let me of my you see, I'm getting older My hair is turning gray Oh, you see my face and figure I've both seen better days Well, I won't be retiring I won't slip out of sight, no, I will not go gentle into that good night. Like some goddamn boomerang
have had my shot My time has come and gone Oh, won't I please get off the stage Let someone else get on Well, I, I won't be relegated Or leave without a fight, no I will not go gentle Into that good night Got some tang, so you won't hear me simper. I may have gotten limp, 